0: Well, good evening, everybody. Some of you know me. Some of you know me better than you'd like to. Um, some of you have been blessed to avoid my company. So, But I'm glad you're all here tonight. So, um, We're going to take a look at fruit of the Spirit, not gifts of the Spirit tonight. If, if you want a gifts of the Spirit message, we can do that later. But I wasn't really prepared for that one. So we're going to talk about fruit of the Spirit, if that's okay. All right. I can... I can just make stuff up if I have to, but that's not going to edify anybody, so. Listen to this list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Does that sound like a wonderful list? Is there anybody here today that feels like they have enough of those things? If you do, please come to my house and teach them to me and the one-year-old and maybe the teenager too because we need them. This is the list that Paul gives in his letter to the Galatians when he talks about a life that is filled with the Spirit of God, a life that has put the flesh, the sinful nature that we're born with, to the side and is instead indwelt by God's very own Spirit living within us. It's a life that's characterized by all those wonderful things that shines out Jesus to the world around them. It's a calling card. It's a fruit that someone whose life is in Christ shows to the world about them. I think we live in a world that desperately needs the things on that list. I know I certainly work in places and with people who would love to see more of it my family would love me to have more of all those things I feel like I do pretty well at some of them but as a whole I need more and as a whole God wants me to have more of those things he desires for his people to show that fruit in their lives so this evening we're gonna take a little bit of time and we're gonna look at what a fruitful life looks like what a life without fruit means and hopefully find some practical ways to cultivate fruit. I will try my best not to make bad jokes, but they come naturally. If you know me, they will be here, and I apologize in advance. Um, If you groan, it's okay. I will trust that it's the Holy Spirit moving in you. And we'll go from there. As we start, would you join me one more time in prayer? Heavenly Father, we, we just seek you out this evening. We ask that you would be with us, that you would open up your word to our hearts. Spirit of God, would you illuminate us? Would you open up our eyes to what you have from your word, from your truth, from the blessing that you gave us for so many years that reveals who you are to the world around us? Lord, help us to take away something that changes our lives today for the better, and that puts you on display in ways that... Only you deserve. Lord, would you be with us tonight? Would you draw all the glory for yourself this evening? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, join me, please, in Galatians chapter 5. Paul writes a letter to the Galatians church, and in chapter 5, he lays out a contrast. It's a very stark contrast between two kinds of life. One that has the Spirit and one that doesn't. So listen to these words. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25, Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So you see the two kinds of life that Paul says are opposed to each other. There's not a third option, by the way. There's one or the other. Paul lays out the first one, a life lived in the flesh, a life that gratifies the sinful nature that we're born with. Every man, woman, child who enters this world is born in the flesh. If you don't believe there's a sinful nature, spend some time with a two-year-old. It doesn't take very long to figure out that there's a sinful nature that just comes naturally. If you're a two year old, I apologize for picking on you. Paul says this is what we're born with. This is the life we live. And I think it doesn't take very much convincing to look around and f- see that the world's really not changed. If you want to feel good, seek phys- physical pleasures wherever you can find them sexual immorality, immor- uh, sensuality, orgies, drunkenness, those all make you feel better. You want to feel righteous or superior? Argue loudly, demand your will, make sure everybody knows how smart you are and how right you are all the time. Want to feel spiritual? We live in a world a lot of people want to feel spiritual. However they can get it. Worship any god you want. Even if that god's just yourself. Maybe especially if that god's just yourself. We live in a world with a flesh that has needs and wants and desires, and our sinful nature would say, let's fill those by the easiest means necessary, no matter what it costs. That hasn't changed from Paul's time a couple thousand years ago. Left to our own efforts, what we can bring before God is works of the flesh. Scripture is pretty clear that what those works bring, those wages are pretty bleak. He says it over and over again. Paul writes it in almost every church he talks to about this is what your work in the flesh brings you. To the Romans he writes, the wages of sin is death. To the Ephesians he writes, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that's now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. To the Galatians, he writes, those who do such things, those who live to gratify their flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul paints this picture that says a life without Christ, a life in the flesh, leads nowhere but straight to hell. And unfortunately, that's where we're born. That's where we start. That's where we end without His grace, without His hand in our lives. Fortunately, and the good news is that God doesn't leave us there. In all those passages and verses that I just referenced, we see maybe my favorite word in Scripture, and that's the word but. It's a beautiful word. If you're doing seek and see studies with your small group and you don't underline the word but, you're missing a good word. There's a guy on the radio I listen to all the time, and he says, anytime you hear a politician say the word but, it means you can ignore everything he said up to that point. Now, this is Scripture, so we're not going to ignore the things that came before, but we are going to rejoice in the but. That sounds horrible. I apologize. We're going to rejoice that God has given us an alternative from the hell that we have looking before us. In Romans 6.23, he ends his verse with, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4-6, through six, he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Over and over again we see that Jesus has taken care of our eternity. He doesn't want to leave us Dead. He doesn't want to leave us separated from God. He doesn't want us to miss the kingdom of heaven that He has prepared in advance for us. If you are here this evening and you don't know for sure what that means, come talk to me or one of the pastors, and we will we'll spend hours trying to share the good news of what Jesus has done for you. Jesus takes the punishment and the wrath and the sin. And he wipes it away so that we can enjoy the other side of the equation. We can enjoy the other side of all those passages. We can rejoice in the kingdom of God. We can look forward to what he has for us in eternity. Going back to Galatians, we we can see that not only has Jesus taken care of eternity, but he also wants to provide for today and tomorrow as well. See, the fruit of the Spirit, I, I believe, is something that happens right now. We get to look forward to heaven, and that's, that's a praise. I love the idea of a life without pain and no more tears in presence of God to worship forever. That sounds great. i love to be able to get out of bed in the morning and not groan. But while we're still here, there's work to be done. And there's growth to be had, and there's fruit to cultivate as we work and walk with Him. Paul reminds us, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the kind of life the Lord desires for us right now. I know a great many Christians, and I've had a great many conversations in the last few days even, with people I love and care for who feel like they've accepted Christ, they learned about their sin, and then they live saddened because they're not good enough. They live downtrodden and disheartened because they've got to somehow earn the grace that God gave them. And they've got it backwards because the grace is a free gift. It's just lavished upon us. But I know Christians that are just suffering for Jesus. God doesn't desire that for us. He desires us to be filled with a fruit of the Spirit that is characterized by something that is attractive to the world. People should walk into our churches or walk into our homes or walk into our small groups and see people rejoicing in all that Jesus has done in our lives. And if they're not, we're missing a valuable and vital part of his place in our lives. Listen to this dictionary definition. It's Baker's Dictionary. I looked at a bunch of different definitions of fruit of the Spirit. What does it look like? What does it mean? I taught it in Sunday school way, way back and I had a felt board and I had bananas and all these other things. And I think I had it wrong then and I probably have it wrong now, but I'll give you what I've got. So Baker's Dictionary defines fruit of the Spirit this way. He says, the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of an individual Christian can be described as follows. An active love for God and one's fellow man, a rejoicing in all kinds of circumstances Peacefulness and serenity of character and peacemaking among people. Patience and long sufferings with persons, some of whom may not be easy to get along with. I appreciate that part. Goodness that seeks to aid others. Faithfulness and dependability in one's relationships with God and other people. Gentleness and meekness in accepting God's will and in dealing with others. And the ability to keep oneself in check under control in all kinds of circumstances. Does that sound like a life that is appealing to anybody besides me? I see at least one hand raised. Thank you, Al. We do his laundry, he has to get along. I love that definition. I love the life that that looks like. To be able to relate with my lovely wife with patience and long suffering, to rejoice alongside her in all that God's done to live with others with goodness and faithfulness in my relationships how would that look to the world around us if we lived like that all the time how would it feel in your heart if you lived like that all the time I said there were other definitions there's a lot of them one author suggests that there's just one fruit and that's love and everything else is a manifestation of love I like that that works you can, you can preach a message on that. It makes for good applications. We're going to talk about applications in a minute. I think where I had it wrong was, you know, in the old days I would teach that there were fruits, lots of different fruits, that each one of these things was a thing you could work on individually. Today I'm going to wake up and I'm going to work on patience. I'm going to be in traffic, so I'm going to work on my patience. Today I'm going to be with my wife, so I'm going to work on, on long-suffering. She's back there. I'm just kidding, dear. Uh, no, I thought I could work on each one individually. Hey, I'm really good at this one, but I need to work on these other ones. And I think that's where I had it wrong. I think the fruit of the Spirit is God's work in our lives with a capital W. It's a, it's a transformation that comes from the inside out as we continue to work alongside and with the Spirit of God as He works alongside and with us. The way I defined it, this is my own definition, take it for what it's worth, is the fruit of the Spirit is the outward testimony of a person who's given their life to Christ, daily seeks to put their old flesh to death, and instead strives to walk in and with the Spirit of God as a new creation. It's a life that looks different from what it once was. It's a life that's not gratifying the flesh. It's a life that people notice because it's attractive and it shines Jesus to the world around them. Now the spirit and its fruit are good for us. God desires us to be happy, He desires us to be joy filled. He desires us to be holy and look different. But that's not where the that's not where the verse ends, or it's not where the picture ends because it's more than just for our good. The fruit of the Spirit, His working in our lives is for His glory. If you turn to John chapter 15, verse 8, as Jesus is talking to His disciples, He talks a lot about fruit. But in John 15, 8, He tells them, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Our lives and what they look like Glorifies our God in God in heaven. Our lives are a witness to the power of the gospel, and sometimes ways that the only way we're ever going to share is by our life looking different. I don't have the opportunity to share the gospel at work very often, but those kids know. I hope that I look different. Similarly, Jesus uses a picture in. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. And here's the punchline. Let your light, I would substitute fruit maybe, shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The fruit of the Spirit's for our good, but it is ultimately for the glory of God. And therein lies the challenge for our church. What are you doing with the fruit that you have? And who is getting the glory when people notice it? I work in a fairly high-stress environment. I work in a, a juvenile detention center. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of negative things going on. And I have been praised more than once for being calm under pressure for having great patience with kids who like to push buttons. I'd like to think those are fruits of the Spirit because, left to my own devices, I don't have that kind of patience, and I'm not calm under pressure. I lose my mind just like anybody else. Where I have been convicted is, when people notice my patience or my calm, I don't stop and give glory to God. I just say thank you, or I smile, or I let it puff me up a little bit. The conviction I've walked away with from this message, if anything, is that God needs to be the one getting the glory for what he's doing in my life. I don't want to take credit for just being a really nice guy. There's lots of those around. I want to glorify God for what he's done in my life. So how do we cultivate the fruit of the Spirit? How do we walk with the Spirit? How do we keep in step with Him, if you have a different translation? This is where, hopefully, we'll get a little bit practical. The first one is, you've got to ask yourself, do you belong to Christ? Think about those passages I read earlier, the passage we heard in Galatians. Which side of the equation, which side of the aisle are you on? If you are here and you have not bowed and surrendered your life to Christ then you remain on the side that says I'm going to gratify my flesh I'm going to be dead in my sins and I will not inherit the kingdom of God without surrendering your life to Christ there is no spirit to grow fruit Christ promised that for those who loved him for those who believed for those who accepted him he would send his spirit to those people. The Spirit's there to convict the world of sin and it ministers and it tries to reach the hearts of the lost, but it indwells those people who have surrendered. If you've made it past that first hurdle, if you've accepted that gift he's given, then from then on it becomes about abiding in Jesus. In John chapter 15, we'll go back there, Jesus tells his disciples this is the beginning of the chapter, if you're reading with me. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you, but abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Now abiding in Christ, is, that, that's something we could dig into for hours. I don't have that luxury of time this evening, I'm pretty sure. But I just want you to notice that without abiding in Christ, without His power, without His work in our lives, we can do nothing. We cannot work our way into holiness. We cannot work our way into spiritual fruit. It comes from the source of the power that changes hearts and lives. That said, we do have a job to do. We've got to go to work to stay in step with the Spirit as well. If you've ever gardened or farmed, you know that a good crop comes with some good weather. It comes with some skill and some knowledge. It comes with a lot of attention. But mostly it comes with a lot of hard work. I don't know any farmer who doesn't work harder than most anybody you'll ever meet. The fruit of the Spirit doesn't just grow in a vacuum. It grows because we work towards it as well. We cultivate the soil. We tend the soil of our hearts so that he has places to grow, he has room to work. I think that's why Paul encourages the Galatians to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, because we have work to do as well. What's that look like? It, it looks like abiding in Christ. It looks like following the commands that he les, lays out in Scripture. It looks like emulating Jesus and shining him out. I'm going to go through a list real quick. If you are a note-taker, I apologize. You can come talk to me afterwards. I'll give you the verses. Each of those pieces of the fruit of the Spirit is commanded throughout Scripture or exemplified in Christ for us to take away. Love shows up in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39 and so many other places. In Galatians 5, 13 through 14, he says, Love is the fulfillment of the greatest commandment. We're called to love. Joy shows up in Philippians 4, For we're to rejoice without ceasing Paul says it again in Thessalonians. Philippians or peace. We're commanded to live at peace with one another in Philippians 4, verse 7, Romans 12. Patience, depending on how you define it, long suffering or forgiveness, over and over and over again. Kindness shows up in Colossians 3:12. We're called to live with kindness to each other. Goodness, Romans 12. Faithfulness, Matthew 5, self-control, 1 Thessalonians 4, 4, 2 Timothy 1, 7. I'll send those verses out or we'll find a way to get them, get them to you through the realm maybe because for, for your further study. But Scripture is full of all these commandments by which we might abide in the Spirit, by which we may walk with Him, keep in step with Him, by following the commandments Christ laid out. Next up, we have to practice. We have to practice the virtues that God desires us to live. I write down here, start with people who are easy to love and work towards those who aren't. Practice these virtues with someone who's easy to love. Work on the fruit of the Spirit in your small group, in your church, in your family, if your family's easy to love. If they're not, I'm sorry. I'll pray for you. Not all families are, that's just the reality of it. Then start working to add in people who aren't so easy to love. Practice patience when you're in the car stuck in traffic and thank God that he's given you patience and the opportunity to grow it. Practice self-control when temptation comes your way and thank God that he's given you the power to overcome sin. Practice kindness all the time. Practice, practice, practice. Remember that growth, oh, shifting gears. Remember in this process, as we're practicing, as we're working, as we're trying to stay in step with the spirit, that you're a person in process. Don't lose hope because you don't look like you want to today. God's not done with you yet. My my lovely bride shared that thought with me last night that. We can lose heart and grow weary because we don't look like this list. We falter with our patience. We aren't always kind and we don't look the way we think we ought to. The question to ask is Is God continuing to work in me? Is the Spirit continuing to grow in me? And can I rejoice alongside what He's done? And then finally, the one that I need to work on most is. Make sure God gets the glory for what he's doing. If someone compliments your patience, give him the glory. If someone marvels at your self control, make sure they know he's the one that made it happen. If you are known for being kind, make sure you're known for someone who praises God for giving you kindness. Make sure God gets the credit. There's some worry there because it sounds weird when you give God the credit. There's a lot of people that'll look at you funny. You might sound holier than now, but if you're consistent and you're always giving God the credit, people will start to believe that he's the one who did it. I'm going to close with a thought from Francis Chan's book hopefully you're all reading this some of you maybe have heard some similar thoughts from that already if you're if you're small groups reading it and you're being blessed by it that's i think it's awesome it's a great book chan writes this in chapter 4 he says when the holy spirit truly moves god is the one who is praised jesus is the one who is lifted up let's pray that god would empower us so radically That we would get no glory. That people would see our works, our fruit, and glorify God. Folks, my hope and prayer is that my life will be radically changed by God. That when people see me, they see a little bit of his work. And that I'm quick to give him the glory. Would you join me in prayer one more time? then we'll move into a place of communion. Father God, you are so good. You have given us everything we need for eternity by taking the punishment and the penalty of our sin on yourself. Lord Jesus, you took the wrath of the Father and redeemed us from it. And, Lord, you take care of everything we need for today and for tomorrow. You've given us everything we need for life and godliness. You've given us the opportunity to grow fruit from your Spirit as you work within us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to put our flesh to death as it strives to fight for its way, that instead you would would do mighty work in our lives, that we would be filled with fruit that you would be put on display by lives that are changed every day and that we would be quick to praise you, to rejoice in what you've done, and to glorify your name as a result, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.